0: Hey, it's the Product Highest Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Sean D'Souza. He is the uh, well-known copywriter and marketing thinker. <laughs> At least that's how I like to think of him. Um, of course, he's from his website, Psychotactics. He runs a membership site called 5000BC, and he's probably most well-known for his really incredible book on copywriting called The Brain Audit. That one really made a big impact for me when I read it a few years ago. So it was a thrill for me to talk to Sean today and really pick his brain about just a strategic, kind of a psychology-based approach to writing really strong marketing copy for any sort of product. Uh, But we also got into his story a bit about where he came from and how he built up his business and really more so his lifestyle. We actually got into how he takes three months of vacation every single year. He's been doing that for about 10 years. Really incredible stuff. So yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Sean D'Souza. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Sean D'Souza. Sean, how's it going? Good, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. It's great to connect with you. You know, your, your writing and your book on copywriting, the brain audit and your blog over the years, and especially just a few years back, made a big impact on me. And I know for many other marketers, writers out there who are trying to improve their copywriting, you are a true authority. So it's really exciting for me to connect with you and kind of pick your brain here for a bit.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to speak to you,
0: Brian. Awesome. Well, you know, for those who may not know you so well, of course, your site is psychotactics.com. I love that name and your membership is at 5000bc.com. You have a book called The Brain Audit. Um, why don't I stop talking like how do you like to uh, kind of introduce yourself and what are you focused on most these days?
1: Um, what I'm focused on is what I've been focused on for quite a while now, which is building skill. So, What we have today and what we've had for a long time is we've had information and more and more information keeps coming at us, but we don't end up with a lot of skill. And my goal is to get someone from, okay, I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to. So I actually call this like, I can't, I can't draw. I can't, whatever. There is this innate belief that it comes from, being struck by bolt of lightning when you're a baby. And it's not true. Even something like happiness or calmness is a skill. It has to be learned. I mean, Yoda must have been Luke Skywalker at one point in time, rushing around like crazy, right? And then you have to learn to become Yoda. Right. And that's the whole thing. So, you know, I have this kind of thought, okay, if I ever get on a dead stage one day, I want to prove to like 300 or 500 people in one 20 minute presentation that they were not born that they were not born with a talent but that it can be acquired in those 20 minutes so that's the thing that's the goal i've had so many of these rambling conversations with people who believe that they have to have skill or somebody else is more skilled than them to then in 20 minutes proving that they can do that so that's the long answer it's not more information but skill
0: yeah, absolutely. You know, what really resonates with me about your approach to teaching is you're really getting into the why and the underlying, uh, the psychology of it, right? Like the reason why copywriting and storytelling techniques work and really getting our heads around that. Whereas you look at so many other places on the web and books and podcasts, and it is all about just tactical stuff that, uh, you know, if you use this formula, you'll, you'll get 10x returns and blah 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 but like you know I feel like I'm truly understanding like why things work which gives me the ability to get at it from a root level is, is that how you think about it
1: yeah because you know often customers like the other day someone in 5000 BC he said I'm totally confused. He says, I looked at your stats. Like somehow he went somewhere and looked at the stats, of customers and stuff. He says, I don't know how you do, how have how you run your business for so many years, because you don't seem to have huge amounts of traffic for someone who's been around since practically 2000. Uh, you don't seem to speak at any events. You don't seem to be anywhere where everybody, you know, those, what they call gurus are, so how how do you do it? How do you manage to take three months off and run a business and you know what people define as success? How do you manage to do that? And my concept is very simple. And and I told him, look, I don't have to do any marketing, uh, which I pride myself on. You know the fact that I'm a marketer that does very little marketing. <laughs> Because I believe that's the true thing, essence of marketing. If all you do is chuck stuff at people all day long, you're just interrupting them. You're not really able to keep the customer. And my goal is like, how, how can I play mum? How can I get you to eat the meal once, you come back the second time and the third time? So that's what I explained to Got to eat your vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I get people to come back multiple times. And to me, that's the key of business and life itself, that you get people to come. It's a relationship. And it's, it's now all these keywords like relationship and all that crap. But at the very core it is I'm focusing on the third conversion, not the first conversion. People are always like, okay, let's get this person to sign up. No. If you focus on the third conversion, the way you construct the first conversion is different. The way you construct the second conversion is different. And the person is coming back the third time. So a client comes in, they probably buy the brain audit at like nine ninety nine. 99 and eventually, they end up spending ten thousand dollars with us. And this is not because we're selling high-priced products. It's because they come back for another course and another course and another course, another book, and that's how it works.
0: Yeah. So we're definitely going to do a, a dive into kind of your process when it comes to copywriting and you know getting that attention and leading down that path. But you know, before we get into that, I, I do want to hear a bit of your story. we were just talking before this. So you're based in New Zealand. That's right.
1: Yeah. In Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah.
0: Auckland. Nice. Have you always been there? No.
1: I lived in Mumbai, uh, moved here in the year 2000. So it's been
0: 18 years, yeah. And so can you give us kind of like a lay of the land of like what your businesses look like today?
1: Yeah. So essentially, I started out as a cartoonist. And what I wanted to do was just become a really good cartoonist. And I wanted more people to buy into that. But I also wanted to take breaks. I'm not in favor of just working like a crazy. To me, time is more precious than money.
0: Yeah. And that's something I really want to dig into here. I mean, your podcast, like what is it? Uh, take Three Months Off, right? Yeah. Three Months Vacation.
1: Yeah. So we don't work on vacation. We take three months off, but we'll get to that later. So I started up to, Psychotactics like, to, to improve my cartoons, as in to help sell the cartoons. And then I got so first infatuated and then fell in love with marketing
0: as such. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's, let's talk about the cartoons for a second. <laughs> like, okay. was that like from a young kid you were doing that stuff? Yes. My yes. brother had actually started with, with cartoons and got into art and that's really interesting.
1: So, so it was very useful in school. Everyone knew me at school. Uh, it was exceedingly useful in university because I didn't have to go after any of the girls. I just had to sit in the corner, draw the cartoons. They would come to me. It was like, uh, yeah, magic trick. I, once I realized how good it was, I just kept drawing in the corner in the canteen.
0: It's your first marketing funnel right there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it sounds like you made the jump that so few artists or cartoonists make. is, is like taking that step to figure out how to sell art or, or cartoons and make a living at it. Like what was your first kind of stab at that?
1: Well... The first step was really persistence. So um, I would say that if you have no skill, persistence will always will People will always give a chance to someone who's really persistent, not being frustratingly persistent, but, you know, like really wanting to do something. So what I'd do is I'd go to, uh, well, all my friends in university went for, to the movies and stuff. I'd go to the newspapers and I'd say, you know, I'm a cartoonist. Can you give me like one project? And they would go, okay, can you sit here for a little while? Well, first they just drove me away and then I'd go back again and back again. After like the 17th try, they would go, okay, can you sit here? And sit here meant I would have to sit for like a couple of hours doing absolutely nothing. But eventually they'd give me one and then, of course, I'd do that and then they'd give me another one and that's approximately how it went. So I remember at one point in time, I went to Compaq, which is a computer company, and I contacted them maybe 10 or 12 times. And then one day... The marketing manager called me for a meeting, and I thought, "Okay, he's going to give me some cartoons." But he took me to the boardroom, and there were like twenty people sitting there. And he goes, "I want to introduce you to Sean. Uh, this is the guy who doesn't give up." <laughs> and uh, he was a sales team, <laughs> so he was. Oh wow! So I, I got the job drawing cartoons for them. I was like the shining example of persistence.
0: Wow, that's great! <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So you go in there and you're, were you working with the sales team or were you working in the marketing and doing like cartoons? And stuff? No, he was just making an example. It was just kind of like a one-time thing. Yeah.
1: He was just making an example. Look, this guy doesn't give up. And this is the reason why he's getting the job.
0: Not because he got in touch once. Nice. So how did you start to make that step into writing and copywriting?
1: Uh, I, I did that because uh, for a while I joined uh, Leo Bennett. Um, because my mother kept asking me, when are you going to get a job? So I was already earning enough. I bought a motorcycle. I bought my parents a fridge, a washing machine. But that that wasn't enough for my mother. It was like, you have to get a job. So I got a job. I got a job uh, as a copywriter. And then I joined uh, Leo Burnett. I left that one. I went to another one. Uh, and then I started writing TV commercials, a 30-second TV commercial scripts. But one day... I don't know. I went on vacation, which is why I want to go on vacation often because it kind of settles my brain. It's like, what are you really doing? What do you really want from life? And I thought, what if you were to die this weekend? This is before reading any book, by the way. It's just like, you know, thunderclap, what if you would die this weekend? And I thought, I want to draw cartoons. So I went back into cartoons from advertising. And when I went back, I ran into a company that was doing kind of a combination of graphics and copy and they were completely goofing up my cartoons. They were putting it in the wrong place. They were writing horrible copy. And I said, I can do better than this. So a lot of the starting point was just persistence, finding something that's really crappy, improving it. It's like the lousiest self-help book you can read, right? Because it's like you can sum it up in five minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of product people out there, I know in this audience, I mean, my, myself, just looking at things like... Taking something that's out there, a lot of people are doing it a certain way, but just trying to improve upon it in in some way.
1: Yeah. So that's where I started. I started writing copy for them. Um, Then I mostly stuck to cartoons, but I was writing some copy. And eventually, when I moved to New Zealand, I continued to draw cartoons until I read this book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And uh, it asked, what can you be the best in the world at? And I thought, hmm, uh, Calvin and Hobbes is the best cartoon. I can't beat that right now, so what could I be the best in the world at? And I was reading these marketing books. I thought, I'm really good at keeping clients, so I'll be the best in the world at keeping clients. Now, I had no idea what to do or how to do it, but I did that. And then I joined a networking group. I spoke at that group. For some reason, I had started a website. and I decided, okay, I'll just give this little speech. I gave this speech. Um, someone said... I need the notes. I said, I don't have any notes. She said, I need the notes. I said I don't have any notes. She was persistent with me. I wrote the notes. It was 16 pages. That was the brain audit. Uh,
0: Like a talk that you gave on how to Exactly. Yeah.
1: And and that's what I recommend most people do. Like go and meet a client and speak to them, find out what their problems are, write your article. You know, like today I have a, a pair of reading glasses. Well, the problem with it is when I'm I have the reading glasses, but when I go for a walk. I don't have the reading glasses with me. So I can't, it's all fuzzy. So the, these guys came up with thin optics. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're literally sits on the back of my phone here. So look at that.
0: Oh, wow. Look at that. Huh. Yeah. So it's, so those listening, it's like a eyeglass holder kind of attached to the back of an iPhone case. Yep. And it's,
1: uh, of course it's got its guarantee, which is it's guaranteed for life if it breaks, because that's the major thing, you know, it's so flimsy looking, it looks so flimsy. So that's it. So, um, that's kind of the short story, and I wrote the Brain Audit. People bought the Brain Audit, um, not a lot at first, but eventually you get momentum, and and that's where we are right now.
0: Yeah, that, that's great. So that actually just reminded me of, of this thing that my my mother actually taught me a few years back. She was a teacher for many years, and it's this idea of like you know, you, everyone talks about like oh, I need to write a book or put something out there, but what should it be? And you get self conscious, but if you just Start to think about, like, well, if you're in the room with someone, you're in the room with a client or you're in the room with a class or something, they're depending on you. Like, they have questions in their mind that need answering. They need to get from point A to point B. So, you're there to just serve them. Yep. And that then you get out of your head and stop being self conscious and just help them.
1: So, Linda Weinman, who started Linda.com, um, she's a friend of mine. And th- this is her exact story. It's like, you know, she learned HTML in the morning and then the afternoon, the students would ask her, how do you do this stuff? So she would read up on HTML and then she would teach them this stuff. And you know that was sold for a couple billion dollars if you're impressed with the billions. But I mean, Linda is pretty much the same person she was, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago.
0: So you wrote the brain audit, but I guess you're also building up the client work into an agency at that point, right?
1: Uh, not quite an agency. Well, I didn't really know what I was doing in the sense that, I didn't set out to be in marketing, but what I found was that on a sales page or in a sales pitch or in a conversation, if you have certain elements, then what you're doing is providing information to the client. So the brain audit runs on the concept of the seven red bags, which means that you get into the airport, you put seven red bags, you get off of the other side, and you wait for your bags. And then one red bag comes off, the second one comes off, the third one, and say six bags come off. And the question is, when do you leave the airport? And the answer is when you get all the seven red bags. So this analogy plays out in real life is that if you don't get all the seven red bags off the client's brain, then they hesitate. So what are those seven red bags? First thing. And the second thing is, how do you get them off in the sequence that the client expects? And I didn't have confidence in myself that there was a sequence. I thought, you know, any of them in any order would work. But by and large, we've found over the last 17, 18 years that there is a sequence. That when we're buying something, we go through a sequence, but sometimes it's so quick that we don't realize it. And the brain order just freezes it so that you understand it. And that's the, to me, that was a big revelation. I didn't know why people were so excited about this book. Because it was only 20 pages when I started. But what it did was in those 20 pages, it and now it's 180 pages but you know it kind of stuck together what the brain does in like a few seconds or a
0: minute yeah it really kind of breaks it down so basically it's kind of like the questions or the hurdles that we have to get over step by step like the seven hurdles that we need to get over in order to make a, a buying decision and decide yeah it's, it's right
1: right and if it, if it were eight to six it would be fine by me it just happened to be seven i mean i you know, trying to force fit the eighth or the sixth one seemed ridiculous. So we just started out our book, the book was selling. But, you know, back when I was doing this thing in 2002, we were just trying to get consulting. We we're not trying to make any products, we're not trying to do anything. And yet, it got to a stage where I developed a system, which is like, a you think of it as a pie, you know, just like a, a pizza, and you cut it in three slices, maybe. So, most people they indulge in, in consulting, and that takes up a lot of time. I was doing like 95 percent consulting, and then what I realized was that if you look at like big organizations like you know a football team or, uh, or the church or you know, religious things and stuff like, they have three sections. and one is uh, training, one is product, which is leverage, and one is consulting. And the companies that do really well do the least amount of consulting.
0: Yeah. I feel like everybody, especially in this audience, is doing that balance. And a big part of that pie is is the consulting. And how do you make that transition? How do you start to balance it back out? Because eventually
1: that's the whole point. Why do you start up a business? Nobody starts up a business to make a million dollars. They get into that crazy mindset because of what they read online or whatever. But they start up a business so that they can have a better life. And a better life usually means enough money in the bank to live that life and to have more time. It's At the very basic level, it's about time. So when you create products, you're creating leverage. When you create training, you're creating leverage. When you create
0: consulting, you are... You're, cre- you're selling time, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's good for testing your stuff in real life. And I wouldn't suggest you drop it, but I would definitely suggest that there be more of training and leverage
0: and consult. How did you start to make that transition yourself, like early on, you know, like as the brain audit kind of came out and just getting that early traction, how did you strike that balance and start to move more into the product and training?
1: First of all, we always lived within our means. So we never really said, you know, we want to buy this ship, this boat, this bus, this whatever, right? I mean, I guess nobody dreams of buying a bus, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> So anyway, so we always lived within our means. And so uh, it started with the consulting, but then the brain audit was like, at that point, $29. It went up to $39 or 49 And we were testing this through our sales page. No big fancy, you know, I, I, Google was just four years old, I think, at that point in time. So this is not some major testing or something. We're just looking at what price point can we get people up to. And the brain audit went up all the way to 139 and the first step was $139. Yeah. And um, I mean, you could subscribe for free, but that was it. Um, and it, it kind of, you know, we had to sell. So if you wanted to make two or $3,000 a month, we had to sell like 30 copies and that would pay the bills. So that's kind of how we went about stuff. And from that, I got some amount of phone consulting, uh, then, which I then expanded to group consulting. And so instead of earning $150 an hour, which I was charging back then, I was getting $1,500 an hour
0: because 10 people were on the call. And you would kind of just consult on like their projects that they're trying to sell and you give them kind of feedback on what they're working on?
1: No, no, I never do that because people then go wandering all over the place. You always want to have, okay, this is the topic that we're talking about. We're talking about a 5% improvement or something like that. So you give them something to hold on to. And then go, okay, now this is your product. How do we improve this by 5% based on what we've just discussed? I find that if you just let people ramble all over the place, all they do is get overwhelmed because 10 people on a call will have 10 different directions.
0: Got it. So you kind of pick one topic to teach and then you do a deep dive on that.
1: Right. And you could possibly do that over like 10 sessions. Like we're just talking about 5% improvement in this. And what happens is, Supposing you say, for instance, we have something called dartboard pricing. So we show you how, say, in 24 hours, you could increase your prices by 10 or 15%. But you'll be astounded at how many people make mistakes. So I can say, okay, step one, stand up. Step two, sit down. Step three, stand up. And people do their own stuff. So you could literally go over five or six sessions with watching people standing up and sitting down. Because, you know, people... You think that people take instructions like you give them, but you know, if you say, okay, everybody make a step, well, you'd probably step forward. I'd probably step backward. My wife would step to the left, right? So now we have all this confusion. And so you, you always want to keep a topic and then stay with that topic. That's the way I would. Do it. So I did the consulting. I did the group consulting. And what do you find is that people, they still want more. So they wanted a membership site. They wanted me to explain the brain on it. So we started the membership site, $7 a year. Pricely sum, $7 a year. Wow. Next year, we increased the price, $11 a year. What year was that that you started, uh, 5,000 BC? This is 2003. Wow, okay. But here's the cool part about it. In 2002, it was $7 a year. In 2003, we increased it to $11 a year, and we lost 50% of the audience. Oh, wow. And, and And here's what happened. I contacted them, and they said, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about the increase, obviously, $4, nobody cares. It was about what we're getting from it. And that was a very important lesson. The lesson was, why am I here? It's not the $7. It's the most important thing in a business is time. The most important in, in life is time. And so if you're going to waste my time, I don't care if you charge me ten thousand or seven dollars. I'm still gonna leave.
0: Yeah, that that is something I wanted to ask you about the membership. Like, how do you keep that value long term? Because I, I talk to a lot of membership site owners here. I'm running a membership site with Productize, and I mean, I feel like a lot of membership companies struggle with this churn. It's like it's it's valuable for a couple of months, and then the people just naturally move on, or the content isn't there, the activity isn't there. How do you kind of nurture and, and keep the value going long term?
1: Okay, so I've got two podcasts on this that you should follow. I think it's one eighty-three eighty-four. It's still not recorded, by the way. So if you're on a three-month vacation, this is precisely. And the title is, Why Do People Leave Membership Sites, by the way? And here's what I found. We drink coffee. Coffee is very big in Auckland, by the way. Excellent coffee. So we're extremely fussy about our coffee. And we've been going to the same cafe for close to three years. But um, then we went to another cafe. And now we had been going to this other cafe for a while and then we stopped. So, so the question is, why did we stop? And then the second question is, why did we go back? And you'll say it's because of the coffee. And the answer is completely wrong because both of the places I just told you have exceptional coffee. So why did we stop? We stopped because when at the point when we stopped, the manager and some of the people who were in the cafe left and then there were a whole new bunch of people. And we didn't know them. And so the experience wasn't very good. And so we stopped. It wasn't the coffee. It was always the people. And so the reason we got back was also the people. The new manager invited us back. She said, you know, I'll handle the coffee. Don't worry about it. And now we know everyone. And so when we walk in, we don't have to order the coffee. They bring the coffee to a table. We don't have cold water. We have hot water. They bring the hot water to the table. It's the people, right? And it sounds... Very, you know, just like we started out this conversation, we said, "Oh, this is oh, it's just another one, just a, another phrase, people." But what about the people? And eventually, I ended up writing like five or six thousand words on what is it about the people. Now, the thing is that people. What we found in our courses, in in everything, you know, the workshops that we do, is that if people don't know people, they leave. And you say, "I have great content." No, people don't know people; they
0: leave. It's very important. So they need that connection. They need to be connected.
1: Right. But in which way? So because what people think of uh, when they think of membership sites is I'm joining for great content. So you give them great content and you give them more great content and then they leave. So it cannot be great content.
0: Right. The content is like a one-time need or deliverable. Yeah. I mean, it's... If it's even part of it.
1: It's like the coffee. This is the base level. The coffee has to be good. The service has to be good. So the only thing that is not consistently good is the relationships. So what we've done is we started having uh, workshops. We have courses, but they're run completely in a different way than any courses that you've seen. They're very small groups. Like uh, even if like 35 people join, they're broken up into groups of seven. And so then these become very tight-knit groups and they become experts at what they do When they get back into 5000 BC, they're more confident, they're happy, whatever. We've had, uh, we live in New Zealand, but we have uh, meetups in the Netherlands, and we'll have one in Singapore. We've had in different places. What happens is the people meet the people, and then they become more confident. Take it offline. Yeah. But then on Friday, we've got two online meetups. And the online meetup is in a time zone, so it's not just an online meetup. It's designed for the U.S., for Canada. So all the U.S., I mean, you can join from any part of the world, but it's designed for India. It's designed for New Zealand. It's designed, So we're meeting them in their time zone. So that's the whole thing. That's the whole secret.
0: You know, on that note, I mean, this is actually something that I've been thinking a lot about this year. Just this idea of community marketing in general, whether it's an actual paid membership or building a community around your—like I hate these buzzwords, but like the around your brand, around your product—I'm trying to figure out like how to bring people together who are all striving toward a, the same goal in some way. Like they're all working through some sort of transition, and they might work in different types of businesses and whatnot, but they're they're on the same path together. I, I feel like that that's where a membership kind of makes sense, is people working toward a, a similar goal together.
1: Yeah, but I found that that's not necessarily true because uh, I used to be uh, part of uh, BNI, which is an offline networking group, and I found that everyone has their own agenda. Plus, the in, in BNI, you get a real estate agent, and they're not just all product creators. They're not all from the same, you know, headed towards the same goal. So what causes them to show up every Friday at 7 o'clock in the morning? And, you know, my father used to be part of a a club. What causes them to show up all the time uh, at six o'clock in the afternoon
0: or or in the evening? And and, it's part of like the routine of it. It's connecting with people. Yeah,
1: because, you know, when we conduct a workshop or when we conduct a course, people give us, you know, great testimonials, blah, blah, blah. But then you say, tell us something about the group. And they write like 600 words. And they completely negate you, like you're the teacher. So they say, Oh, the workshop was really great, but the conversations we had in the corridor were greater. So and you think, oh, what did I do wrong? You know, I should have they should have spoken about my content. My content, my product, blah blah blah. No.
0: Yeah. It's the reason I go to, to a conference. It's it's just to talk to people in the hallway.
1: Right. But but look at how conferences are designed. Conferences are designed to isolate you. They're like five hundred people there. You have to find your own group. You have to butt into someone. They're not designed for. Hey, let's get
0: these seven people together. Let's put them together, right? The loudest person wins. Yeah. So, how do you describe like your people, like the people who join your membership and really, really resonate most with your stuff? Who do you tend to connect with most? Is it the marketer? Is it the product owner? No, we don't
1: look at we don't look at that. We look at uh, a quality, and and the quality is uh, kindness. So, the, the, first of all, uh, the kind of person they are are introverts. So, on, I'm an extrovert, but most of the clients that we seem to attract are introverts. So, on every podcast, I say, you know, 5000BC is a place for introverts. There's no grandstanding. There's no show-offs there. And the slogan of 5000BC is be kind, be helpful, or be gone. How does this play out in real life? So, for instance, the cartooning course, one of the courses that we have is uh, costs $1,000. And there are continuation courses in the cartooning course, which cost upwards of $500. Three people have offered to pay for the tuition of three other people at $500 each, a donation. Wow. So, when you look at that, you go... I understand that this kindness thing is playing out in real life. But what we do is we go on vacation after every 12 weeks. We go for four weeks away. And we ask for volunteers. We call them the cave elves, like Santa's elves. And so people put their hands up and they come and they help around when we're gone. Uh, We have cave guides. So we, we don't pay anyone for anything. We don't expect anything from them. And we say, who would like to be cave guides? And so,
0: people who join five thousand. So members become kind of like the moderators while you're gone. Correct.
1: Yeah, there are no paid people. So we're we're talking about insourcing here, and not outsourcing. So a lot of this is is people can and and we're looking at every possible. I, this has just blown my brain. You know, I I thought about this a week ago. We've been doing a lot of the stuff, but it's not it's not structured enough for me to say you know, you could do all these things. This is how you do it. You know, I like systems. And to me, every time someone leaves a job, it's not because of a better salary, but because the people here are not as great as I thought they would be. You know, every time you leave... Pretty much a party, you go, I mean the people are great at a party. who wants to leave the party? I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, or something changed like it, it's not not like it was before you know, right something like it's, that. yeah it's the
1: most obvious thing, and that's why I call it like b photo, which is blinding flash of the obvious, but huh,
0: so let's talk about these uh three month vacations because that, that's definitely uh it's something that that I've actually been like writing down like as like a goal to get my business to a place where I could take you know two months out of a year and really completely disconnect. A part of it, to be honest, is like, I could do that. It's allowing myself, giving myself the permission to do that, right? So tell me about that. Like, when did that kind of start for you? When did you start to literally structure your year around that?
1: Yeah. So the good thing was that we moved from India to New Zealand. And in India, we were working and then we got to New Zealand and we were working and we thought, this has to stop. Um, I believe that if you give the brain a good challenge, it manages to solve the problem quite easily. So the question was not, you know, how can we take three months off, but how can we get enough time off? And so the question was just, okay, let's pick a figure. It's like, okay, let's take three months off. So the first year we tried to take three months off, and it was a disaster. Because I don't know if you tried to take three months off, but after a while you get bored of your vacation. That was going to be my big question. It's like, what do you do in that time, right? Yeah, you get totally bored. And then when you come back, if you've been stagnant, like looking at, I don't know, beautiful views for three months, well, there's a pretty good chance that for the next three months, you're going to do nothing. So it's no way to run a business. Okay. It's no way to run a life. So what we did was then we we kind of played around with it. And eventually we settled on, we work for 12 weeks, we take four weeks off. We work for another 12 weeks, another four weeks off. Now- People say, I can't do that. And my answer to that is uh, to ask another question. If I were to reframe it and say, okay, uh, you do all this work in 12 months. You earn X amount of dollars in 12 months. Could you do that in 11 months? And almost everyone will say yes, right? If you say, can you do it in 10 months, at least a third of that audience is going to say yes. So obviously, you've not been asking yourself the right question. The right question is not, how do I take three months off? But it's, can I meet the goals that I wanted, that I set for myself in nine months or 10 months or 11 months? And then when I'm away, so for instance, a lot of people, when we say three-month vacation, they think of these digital nomads. And to me, it doesn't make any sense. You're either working or you're not working. Because every time you get an email saying, oh, this happened to me, it's like your, half your day is gone. And this is a normal working day. It's not even a holiday, so when we go away, we just have someone who answers our email, and she says, "Sean and Renuka are on vacation. They're drinking wine, eating—I don't know—something.
0: <laughs> and uh, would you? Is this urgent?" And most of the clients say no. Yeah, at least they're they're being honest. They're like, do you really want to pull them away from the beach right now? And like, <laughs> right.
1: And and you know, we have a separate messenger channel, and if there is a crisis, and you know, since 2003 there has been one crisis and we couldn't do anything about it the whole website had been wiped off so we couldn't do anything about it
0: yeah and of course it gets back to that like that pie right like if you can get your business to a point where where it is still generating income and still running while you're away it doesn't require you to be there for those hours plus we said about another three formula which is we Earn twice as much
1: as our expenses. So, say your expenses are say a hundred thousand, then you earn or your goal should be not to earn six figures or whatever. I don't. It is already six figures. Sorry. Um, uh, Supposing it's hundred thousand, your expenses. Your goal should be to earn three hundred thousand. And. That way, a third of it goes into taxes. We pay like 35%. So I don't know what you guys pay but So a third goes into taxes, a third goes into savings, and a third goes into your expenses. And it's a pretty simple formula. And what it does is it it clearly, so since 2007, we've had approximately the same income. Now, you might say, wait, you could have doubled your income, you could have trebled your income. But while you're, working so hard at the beach. We take three months off every year. We've been doing it for 14 years in a row. We stay at the best hotels. We um, spend time with my nieces. Uh, we, I paint every day.
0: I cook every day. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, what are some of those vacations? Are you going to a, a completely new place every single time? And how are you spending that time? Because I, I know myself, and as much as I want to do something like that, I won't be able to stop myself from working on something. You know, even if it's like,
1: right, because what you have is work momentum, right? So you have vacation momentum and work momentum. And so if you have work momentum, then it's going to spill into the vacation. But if you wait long enough, or you stop early enough, then you don't have work momentum. So for instance, about four or five days before we get on a plane, we pack our bags as if the flight were leaving five days in advance. So our work ends five days before we leave. And what that does is it slows us down. So by the time we get on vacation, we're not spending five days trying to, you know, slow down. We're already slowed down.
0: That's a great, I mean, next week, uh, my wife and I are going to Belize and I'm probably doing what I usually do when we have a vacation coming up. I hustle up until like the night before the flight, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. And then, of course, it spills into the flight.
1: So pretend that you have to leave five days in advance and see the difference. A lot of a lot of what you're doing or need to be doing is reframing how you think. When you say, how can I finish all this stuff in 10 months? Uh, how can my flight take off five days in advance? You know, everything changes.
0: Yep. Love it. So, you know, before we wrap up, I did want to kind of just pick your brain about some maybe like quote unquote tactical stuff when it comes to writing and copywriting, Um, I'm curious, like for, let's say like a new project, you're launching a new product of your own, you're opening something new for your members, like, and you, and you want to create a page sales page for it. Where do you begin with that? Where are you starting?
1: Okay. There are two answers to this. One is the simple answer, which is using the brain audit and using the steps in the brain audit. And then there is the complicated answer, which is, you know, what are all the elements that you have to put on a landing page, for instance, right? Um, I would always go with the simple answer to begin with because the complicated answer requires like 21 elements and the brain audit requires seven elements. And bear in mind that we sold a half a million dollars of just the brain audit with no advertising, no bestseller list,
0: no nothing, right? So it's just the brain audit selling the brain audit. So if I understand what you're saying, it, instead of like kind of stressing and putting all this energy on, just get the headline right. You're saying like, get all the key out, like the broad strokes right for, throughout from top to bottom. The- right.
1: And I'm going to give you a really simple formula for this. The first thing is to find a human being. Do not do personas. Do not look at target audiences. Do not make up anything sitting at your computer. If you are not sitting at a cafe in front of someone, like if we're not sitting and talking like this, then you're you're completely off target. And the reason for that is very simple. Um, the brain audit has these seven red bags, and the, one of the bags is called the target profile. And the target profile is pretty much what a detective does. When there's a, like, you know, there's this murder somewhere, like a Jack the Ripper kind of thing, they don't go, okay, let's go after everyone, right? They go, let's create a profile. So, where does this guy hang out? What, is he, what does he look like? How does he look? And they're still working theoretically because they don't know who it is. You know your client. So you go to that client, and usually the client has to have this criteria. He or she needs to be a person who you like. If you choose someone you don't like, you will consistently get people you don't like. So please choose someone you like. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the person must be able to afford your service or your product, not some person who's going like, I'm going to save next year, three years from now. No. So they must be able to afford And the third thing and this is the most important, is they must have a burning problem. So now when you sit there, you're running to someone like me. It's like, okay, uh, I need reading glasses, you know. Uh, So I went to the optometrist, got the reading glasses. But now I just went for a walk, and I've got a problem. I can't read anything on the iPhone. I can't read anything. And that's where thin optics comes into play. So essentially what they're saying is, You are out for a walk. You don't have your glasses. And this is what I would say. I'm out for a walk. I don't have my glasses. And, you know, six looks like eight to me.
0: And that's what I'd put on the headline. Literally taking their words and and hearing them describe their story. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this is what the target profile does. And then you say, how did that problem look like? And they tell you. And now you've got a recorder on. And they tell you what the problem is. You ask them, what are the consequences of you not dealing with it? They tell you that. You say, How would you solve that problem? Let go. You know, if I had something that I could just put on the iPhone, that would be, or on the phone, that would be great. Look at this product. It's on the phone. Then they, as soon as you go there, you go, But it would be really small. It would be, you know, really flimsy. So they come up with objections. And of course, these people deal with all the objections, thin optics. See, I'm selling thin optics to you, by the way, just in case you didn't notice.
0: I don't even need glasses. I want to buy them now. Yeah. And you know, we hear this a lot. Um, people don't know what they want or what they will buy until it's there in front of them. How do you think about that? Like Research, so obviously talking to your customer and literally face-to-face and get those stories, get the words out of their mouth. But do you supplement that with other research, like kind of observing a market at all? No.
1: No, because um, research will tell you what you want to hear. Often, I mean, research works, but it's if it worked, then Procter and Gamble would just make seventeen billion dollars more. You know, because they do they research more than anybody else, but even they fail. So, what you need to do is create a product and then tie it to an existing problem. This is very critical to understand. So let's say you have a pen like this, right? You go, what is this? This is a product. I have no use for it. But what is the problem? Now, there is an existing problem somewhere. And that existing problem is maybe people have um, styluses, but they don't have a complete control over that stylus, right? Uh, Or they have styluses, but they are too thin, and this is a thick stylus. So you technically create that product in your head because it's solving your problem at some level. So for instance, I wrote a book called The Secret Life of Testimonials, because what happens is testimonials often sell if you construct the testimonial right. And it's like, who's going to buy a book on testimonials? Don't you know how to get a testimonial? Of course you do. But the problem is you're getting clients who suck up all your energy and your time. That is the problem. They don't pay you on time. They don't respect you. And you go, okay, so that's the existing problem at the bottom here at the testimonials, how do we marry the two? And you go, if you have these clients who suck up at your time, don't pay your time, don't respect you, maybe there is a problem with your, and you fill in the blank, testimonials. Maybe there's a problem with your t-shirt. Maybe there's a problem with your pen. Of course, everything won't fit into the blank, but you'll be surprised at how many things will fit into that blank.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that Obviously it comes through in all of your writing. I think it's even coming through here in this interview is how you use stories to really drive home, you know, the point that you're making. And, and like even the way that you're teeing up every point that you're making here, it's like you know what the punchline is, but you're starting with a story to hook people in. Like so again, getting back to this project, right? Like you've talked to the customer, you know you kind of have an idea of what the problem is that you're going to solve. You're getting an idea of what the product will be that you're going to sell. How do you incorporate stories into that and into your writing?
1: The, the thing is that people have always heard the story before, or they've already... So if you look at the Brain Audit, for instance, it's a sales book, or it's a marketing book. It's like, it's very hard to explain it. And how are you going to explain it? Because what you want to do is, I want you, Brian, to explain it to somebody else. And so I have to give you a story. Because if I don't give you that story, you're going to say, oh, it's a sales book. And the other guy go, oh, I already have 17 sales books I haven't read right? So I have to give you the seven-bag story. Now, what you have to do is, instead of trying to isolate it as a sales book or whatever, try and figure out what problem does it solve. So the brain audit solves the problem of hesitation, right? That's it. Last-minute hesitation. At the last minute, the client is already nodding, 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 and the last second, they're gone. What happened at that last second? That's what the brain audit solves, And that's how that seven red bags story fits in. You've got all your bags, six bags are out, one bag isn't out. Why are you hesitating? You've got six bags.
0: It it like puts a visual there, something that you can connect and remember.
1: Yeah, so you've got a, you, you know, we have a book, say, for instance, called Dartboard Pricing, which I spoke to you about, right? Again, what's the story behind Dartboard Pricing? Or what's the one concept behind it? And the concept is that, People don't understand prices. That's what dartboard is about, right? You get a dartboard, you put the prices, you throw your dots. That's your price. Now, how do you systematically increase that price? You've got your price. How do you increase your price? That's the point. But now it's got that visual in front of you, which is the dartboard pricing. You can't even forget the name anymore.
0: Yeah, it's 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 kind of like branding each concept that you're trying to lay out or roll out in, in the course of, of selling something. Um. John, this has been really, really uh, insightful and, and helpful. Um, thanks for taking the time. I know the audience is going to get a lot out of this. Um, of course, we're going to link everything up in the show notes, psychotactics.com, 5000BC.com. Um, your books and everything are linked from there. Anywhere else people can uh, connect with you? No, no. you've Yeah, you don't
1: send them to too many places. Just they have enough information already. So just if they want to look at the brain audit, I mean, it's not an expensive book anyway but you can either buy the brain audit at amazon or on our site or you can get a a copy at psychotactics.com brain audit
0: excellent well yeah thanks john great you're welcome thank you all right was that good let me know what you thought of this one hit reply on any of the emails that i sent you recently You're not getting my emails? Okay, then head over to my site, castjam.com. You can join my newsletter there. You'll get my best stuff about entrepreneurship, productizing, and more. Also, a five-star review in iTunes is always appreciated. That'll help others like us come find these episodes. All right, until next time, we get back to working on the business. Later.